Hello, welcome to the podcast at Chesboro Baptist Church. We're continuing in our series entitled Soul Repair. This is the third message in that series entitled I'm Lonely. Please enjoy. Psalm 139, in the middle of a series called Soul Repair. And so I've enjoyed this thus far. We've got just a couple weeks left in it. And if you have your places in Psalm 139, one last time I'm going to ask you to stand in respect and reverence to the Word of God. We're going to read the first three three verses of Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know me when I sit down and when I rise up you understand my thought from afar you scrutinize my path my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways we've talked about thus far i'm hopeless i'm angry and today we're going to talk about i'm lonely let's pray Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I do pray that you would be with us today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd fill the hearts and minds of the people of God today as we open hearts to receive the Word of God. May it bathe us, Lord. May it change us. May it cleanse us. May it wash us, Lord. And let it draw us closer to you. Thank you so much for everything you've done for us. Be with our service this morning. In Jesus Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. On May 24th, 1965, there was a 13 and a half foot boat that slipped out of the the marina at Falmouth, Massachusetts. It was the smallest vessel ever to attempt to cross the Atlantic Ocean. And the, 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 the captain of this ship, the lone man aboard this ship, was a man named Robert Manry. And the name of his vessel was Tinkerbell. And Tinkerbell set off across the Atlantic. And uh, during the day, Robert Manry was a copy editor for the Cleveland Plain Dealer. And for 10 years, he had sat at his desk bored. And for 10 years, he had sat at his desk lonely and thinking about sailing the ocean blue and thought about the sea and thought about being out there by himself. And it was his lifelong dream. Well, then one day he had an opportunity to take a leave of absence from work and he said, I'm doing this. I'm taking Tinkerbell and we're going across the Atlantic Ocean. He would be the first one to ever go across the Atlantic in a boat that small if he succeeded. But one thing that he feared was he didn't fear the ocean. What he feared was people trying to talk him out of what he wanted to do. You ever do that? You don't want people to talk you out of something so you just don't tell anybody and just go off and do it. Well, that's kind of what he did. He told very few people what he was doing, but of course he did tell his wife, Victoria. He took a leave of absence from work and he got out onto the ocean and began to sail. But when he got out on the ocean, a monster came and hit him. And it was the monster of loneliness. 
He could not describe. He thought he was lonely and bored sitting at his desk at work. But when he got in the middle of the ocean, man, the loneliness began to set in. And Robert Manry said it became so prevalent in his life that his food began to not have any taste to it. He said he would spend sleepless nights and up all night trying to stay out of the, uh, of the channels where the other boats, the shipping lanes, trying not to get run over by other boats. <coughs> so many times the, the storms would come up and wash him out of his boat. And if it wasn't for a rope that he had to keep tied around his waist, he would have been lost at sea and wouldn't have made it back to his boat. Finally, after 78 days of being at sea, he was coming up on England. And man, all he could think about was what was getting out of his boat and going to a restaurant and getting a meal and hitting a hotel and then maybe the next day going to the Associated Press to see if they would be interested in his story. What he wasn't expecting when he sailed into England was the 300 vessels that were there to meet him, blowing their horns. What he didn't expect when he got into the marina in England was 40,000 people there cheering him on. And it said it made all the loneliness that he felt and everything he went through during that journey, to him, it made it worth it. I want to tell you something today, Christian, something that I know you already know, but I'm going to tell you anyway, loneliness is an unpleasant thing. Loneliness is an unpleasant thing. And we are, are lonely for many reasons. For some of us, loneliness is physical. It is a physical thing. Like I said, we're in this series to heal from the last 365 days. And one of the many things that a lot more people are feeling after having went through the last year is loneliness. You know, with all this COVID-19 coronavirus stuff, and we're just now seeing the effects of social distancing, seeing the effects of long-distance learning, and these are things that are going to be in our, in our society. And we have got to consider the ramifications and what this is going to do to people emotionally. Uh, you know, maybe you're feeling lonely today because you're single. Maybe the holidays are a tough time for you. And the holidays usually are a tough time for people, and it's when people feel the loneliest. Maybe you're lonely today because you lost something. Maybe you're lonely today because you lost someone. Maybe you're lonely today because, you know, there may be someone today that they have to go home to an empty house where it wasn't empty before. That loneliness can creep in. So there are physical reasons why people would exhibit the symptoms of loneliness. But I want to tell you today, some of us, for, for some of us, loneliness is physical, but for others of us, loneliness is emotional. Sometimes loneliness is just an emotion that you cannot shake. Have you ever been in a, a, in a room filled with people and still felt lonely 
I know what that's like. Have you ever been around with your friends and they're talking about something and you have no clue what they're talking about? Maybe you're around with your friends and they're talking about cars and you don't know the first thing about cars. So you sit there and you go, mm-hmm, okay, yeah, 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 mm-hmm, okay. And you just do that for 30 minutes because you can't contribute anything to the conversation. And so even though you're in a group of people, you still feel alone. Do you feel alone sometimes because there's an age gap? Maybe you're the oldest person in the group. Maybe you're the youngest person in the group. And you just feel alone. Sometimes people look at you. Say, what you complaining about? Why are you saying you feel lonely? I mean, you've got a spouse. You've got kids. You've got family. You've got no reason to be alone. But the truth is, if we're honest with ourselves, even inside our family, we can feel alone. We can feel, if we're honest with ourselves. You ever heard the expression, it's lonely at the top? And people, they, they work all their lives to climb that ladder and they work all their lives to get to that place in their career where they can climb to the top of the mountain and grab the brass ring. But the thing is, when they get to the top of the mountain, they look around and there's no room for anybody else at the top of the mountain. When it comes to loneliness, there are Many examples in the Bible that tell us you are not alone. Loneliness is something that people in the Bible that we can share because they were lonely. And the first example of loneliness that comes to my mind is Leah. Leah was a very, very lonely person. Jacob came into town and the very first face that he saw when he came into town was Rachel. And he looked on Rachel and it was love at first sight and he fell in love with her. He laid his eyes on Rachel and he instantly fell in love with her. He fell in love with her so much that he began to weep just at the sight of her. And Rachel probably thought, well, this is kind of weird. But, uh, you know, Rachel went back and they went to the father. They went to uh, uh, Jacob, went to Laban and says, hey, I want to marry your daughter and I will work seven years for you. And, you know, seven years, what this seven years of work was, it was basically a dowry. You see, because even though Jacob was the son of a wealthy man, he left his father's house essentially penniless. So he didn't have any money. And so Laban, seeing that this was a generous offer of seven years, he knew he could take advantage of Jacob. And that's exactly what he did. And he tricked Jacob into marrying Leah and working extra seven years for Rachel. But you know... Who the real loser was, was Leah. Leah was the real loser. And you could count four or five times in the scripture where Leah said she was unloved. Leah was in a loveless marriage. And what Leah began to do is she began to have children thinking that having children would make her husband love her. 
She would have a child and say, now I'm going to get some attention from Jacob. Now he'll love me. And it didn't work. And so then she'd have another child and say, now Jacob will love me. And it didn't work. And then she had another child and said, now I'll get some attention. Now my husband will love me. And it didn't work. And on the last child, you know what she said? She said, this time I will praise the Lord. So in the end... She mastered her loneliness. But Leah was a very lonely person. Of course, we all know the story of Elijah as he was under the, uh, under the, the juniper tree being chased by old Jezebel. He crawled under that juniper tree. And it always amazes me how this guy gets up here. He calls down, he, he calls down fire from heaven. God sends fire. He kills all the prophet of, prophets of Baal. But when Jezebel gets after him, man, he can't handle that. And he runs out in the wilderness and he curls up under a juniper tree and he feels so alone and he just wants to die. And then the angel of the Lord comes to him and the angel of the Lord feeds him and the angel of the Lord gives him strength and the angel of the Lord tells him to go to Mount Horeb and he travels for 40 days to Mount Horeb and when he gets there he gets in a cave and some people say it's the cleft of the rock that Moses was in and he gets in that cave and then after he gets in that cave he sees a mighty wind a mighty wind comes through that, that tears everything up and knocks mountains over and knocks rocks over and Elijah looks in the wind and he doesn't see God and then a great earthquake comes and shakes everything all around him. And Elijah looks out and God wasn't in the earthquake. And then the Bible says that a fire came and burned everything up. And the flames are rising up all around Elijah. And the smoke, he's, he's saying low to the ground to not let the smoke get in his lungs. And he looks out into the fire and God wasn't in the fire. But then came a still, small voice. And God was in that. Let me tell you something, lonely Christian. God's not always going to work in a big, mighty, miraculous, earth-shattering, sky-stopping way. That's not the only way God works. God, doesn't, God can do these grand gestures and these mighty works if He wants to. He absolutely has the ability to, but, the, but the, most of the time God works through a still small voice. And if you were just waiting on a big miracle, you're waiting on this big grand gesture from God, you're waiting on a feeling that's going to shake your body, and you're waiting on all these things, you're going to be waiting a long time because you're going to miss the still small voice of God. A lot of times why we, feel, why we feel lonely is because we're not listening to the still small voice. And you know what that still small voice? Elijah got that still small voice and he said, God, I still feel alone. And God said, you have no reason to feel alone because there are 7,000 people out there who have not bowed knee to Baal and a lot of times when we think we're alone we're not really alone you see Elijah that's how it, it wasn't true that he was alone but that's still how he felt and you know what happened in the very next verse in the very next verse he met Elisha 
his traveling companion, and Elijah was lonely no more. Jeremiah was lonely. Jeremiah was a lonely weeping prophet. Jeremiah was not allowed to marry. He had no children. Everywhere he went, he was rejected because he preached the truth of God. And sometimes people don't like preachers that preach the truth. And they rejected Jeremiah and sent him out. What a lonely prophet he was. But then, of course, the ultimate example... Jesus was very, very lonely. You know, the Last Supper was a very lonely meal for Jesus. He was dining with friends that he had poured the last three years into, and one of them he knew was going to betray him. One of them was actively going to betray him when the meal was over. Then afterwards, he took his three closest friends... I mean, his buddies. He brought them alone into the garden. I said, watch with me and pray. And Jesus goes off a little further and he drops down and he begins to pray. And when he gets up and comes back and checks on his buddies, they're asleep. Man, Jesus was lonely even in the garden. Surrounded by friends, yet alone and forsaken. See, because even these crowd of friends could not make up for the loneliness of the impending cross. And when Jesus finally got on that cross, what did he say? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So let me tell you, Christian, you may feel lonely right now. Maybe you feel lonely because of a physical reason. Maybe you feel maybe you're surrounded by people. But even though you're surrounded by people, you still feel this loneliness and you can't shake it and you can't get rid of it. And it comes, it brings depression and it brings all these things. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. Jesus has felt it. And of course, let's not forget who we're building this series around is old King David. King David was lonely. Of course, we know he felt lonely when he was running from King Saul and when he was running from Absalom and he was hiding in caves and he was hiding in the wilderness. Of course, we know that he was lonely, but have you ever stopped to consider that maybe David didn't just feel lonely in the caves. Maybe he felt lonely on the throne. Can't you imagine the day David sitting on the throne of Israel, king of Israel, surrounded by his army, surrounded by his nation, surrounded by his mighty men, surrounded by his wives and his children and his servants in the middle of his house, in the seat of Israel. And he was lonely. So you can be lonely anywhere. And this is what I want to talk about this morning. We look back at this first three verses of Psalms 139. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path, my lying down, and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. You know what David does in this psalm? Is he starts out by telling us what he knows about God. 
And David says, God, you know what's inside of me. You know me better than I know myself. From the time I get up in the morning to the time I go to sleep, God is there. Every step I take and every breath I make, God is there with me. So if God is so intimately with me, then when I'm lonely, that's a perfect opportunity to know God better. You see, what we, what we miss, Christian, is in the dark seasons of loneliness in our life, that is a perfect opportunity to get closer to God. Because even though you feel separated from everybody else for a Christian, for a child of God, God is right there. And that is a perfect opportunity to know God better. And here, in the lonely seasons of David's life, David's life, David is telling us what he learned in the lonely places. You know, David had a title. You know what David's title was? David became known as the man after God's own heart. You know how he, how he got that title? Getting close to God in the lonely times. Getting close to God in the lonely, lonely times. And it was in the dark, lonely times of David's life when he came to know God in a more intimate way. So when you are lonely, that is a good opportunity to learn about God. So what I've got for you this morning is I've got three things we can learn about God in the lonely places in our life. Number one, God is invested without us having to earn his attention. God is invested without us having to earn his attention. Verse 4. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Have you ever started a new TV show and you just got so invested in it that you just started, I'm going to watch one episode tonight and then one episode the next night, and you just start binge-watching it. I mean, you're watching every single episode, and, and you got to be careful when you binge-watch a show, because if you don't tell your wife you're watching it, then the next, when she wants to watch it with you, you got to pretend like you hadn't seen it before. And so you got to be careful with that, because you can hurt, and it's a dangerous thing that's been watching a show. But you start a new show, and man, you just start binge-watching it, and you just can't wait to the next episode comes out I'm doing this right now with a show I put off watching this new show about Jesus the chosen I put off watching it. I don't know why I put it off but I put it off watching it and man I saw the first episode and I was hooked I mean, what's Simon going to do? Is, is Simon going to get arrested by the Romans? And man, it was just a good show. And it took me two nights and I watched everything. She got upset with me because I watched it without her. And see, she's shaking her head, yes. And so I watched this show and I get to the last episode and it says the next episode is being made right now. I was like, no, I want to watch it now. I don't want to wait. I want it now. 
Why do we do that? Because we're so invested in it. Let me tell you, Christian, God has been binge-watching every episode of your life. And he can't wait till the next episode comes out. He is invested in me and you. We do not have to earn his attention. He is invested in us. He binge-watches every episode of our life. And from the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep, he is paying attention to every single thing that we do. He is invested in us. See, people, people will go through a lot for other people's attention. There are people who will spend hundreds of thousands of dollars and 10 years of their life to put a piece of paper on a wall just so they can have other people's attention. Like, that's the only reason why. And I'm saying everybody's like that. But there are some people that do it just so they could have those letters in front, of, in front and behind their name and just so they can be looked at. Just so they can have other people's attention. There are people that go out and buy new cars and new motorcycles. <laughs> they go, <laughs> but they go out and they buy new cars and they buy new motorcycles and they, they buy new bass boats and they, they buy new cabins. Why? Just for attention. Just for other people's attention. That's... The only reason why they do it, there are people that get out their cell phone and they spend hours and hours on social media, post after post after post after post, begging for other people's attention. Just want to get somebody's attention. But let me tell you a little secret. When you finally get the attention of other people, it will not do for your soul what you think it will. It won't do it. It will not do for your soul what you think it will. You see, we desire, uh, uh, we get for free from God what we desire from other people that's often very expensive. You see, because trying to get attention from other humans, attention from other people is very costly. You get a Facebook picture and you post it on Facebook. Oh, and you think it's so cute. Little Junior, little Susie Q. She just looks so cute in her curls. And you post the picture and then it doesn't get the amount of likes you think it should. Then you end up you feel more insecure and more lonely than when you posted it. Oh, so then we got to do a better one. Now it's got to be bigger and we got to make it more flashy. And then when you get that attention, it won't be enough. It's never enough. But with God's attention, you know what you get? You get security. With God's attention, you get, I don't know if this is a word or not, I'm going to get some dagger eyes from some of the teachers. You get enoughness. I don't know if that's a word, but it sounds good. I want it. 
You see, with God, you not only get security, but you get enoughness. That's what you get from God. I don't know. I don't know if some of you parents experience this, but you know what I get a hundred times a day? Daddy, look. Daddy, look at this. Look at that. Look at this. Look at that. Look at this TV show. Look at this, this video. Look at this big bug that I found. And I'm going to be honest with you. I actually love it. I'm not down in it. I love it. Wish I had a nickel for every time I heard it. But, you know, Daddy, look. And you know what David is saying in the beginning of this psalm? He's saying, Daddy, look. And guess what? Daddy's looking. Daddy's looking today. Where are you, God? I'll tell you where God is. God is right where you need Him to be. He's right where you need Him to be. See, it's not that God just knows everything, although He does know everything. It's not that He knows everything. It's that He knows you. It's not that God is everywhere. It's that He's where you are. It's not that God created everything. It's that God created you. You are not just a number in a crowd. And if you're in a lonely place today, I want you to know that God sees you. God knows right where you are. And, and, and He knows right where you are. And David went on to say, For you formed in my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. It's like God has been binge-watching us from the very beginning. He's been looking at us from day one. Let's look back at verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascended to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, your hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Listen to this. Even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are light to you. Number two this morning. God works in the dark. God works in the dark. It's time, for, it's time for confession time. It's time for come to Jesus time. Here we go. I want to see some hands. Who had a nightlight when they were a kid? It'll do. Mine was a Snoopy. Big surprise. I had a Snoopy nightlight. I might still have it somewhere. But, you know, but let me tell you something. God works in the dark. Do you know that there are psalms that we know David actually wrote in a cave? David spent a decade of his career running from the law, a fugitive of the law, and he would write psalms in caves. Because every now and again he would end up in one. And guess what happened when David was in a cave? God met him in the cave. 
God knew where he was and God right God went right where he was and David said even in the darkness your hand will guide me so when you get to that lonely dark place you know that darkness is light to God and what's dark to us is light to God and what does that mean that means he can see things that we cannot see in the darkness what is your dark place this morning? Is it your marriage? In your marriage, do you say, man, I just, I just feel lonely. Is it your job? Man, you go to work and you're around your fellow employees and you're around your clients, but at work you just feel all alone. Is it with your family? Do you go to a family function and even though you're sitting around, surrounded by your family, it feels like you're sitting at a table by yourself? You may even feel ostracized from your family in some way. You're around people, but you still feel alone. Do you feel alone this morning because of suffering? Suffering will make you feel alone. Pain will make you feel lonely. And whether you're suffering physically or you're suffering emotionally, it's still suffering. And that suffering can make you feel alone. But I want to tell you today some things that David learned in the dark. Here's some things that David learned in the dark. We used to have this, I don't know if anybody else did this, but we used to go to have Sunday dinner at my papa's house. And he had this hall and we would shut all the doors and get pillows and put in the bottom of every door and we would play dark hall. And what we do is just crawl around and bump into each other. That was the game. But it was pitch black and you couldn't see anything. But you know, here are some things that David, that David learned in the dark. Number one, David learned in the dark to take notes. He learned to take notes. And I know that sounds like an oxymoron taking notes in the dark. But in that dark, lonely place of your life, uh, 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 take notes on your relationship with God. Pay attention to the road signs while you're there. Because one day, when you're back in the light, you will need what you learned in the dark. You're going to need that one day. Take notes. I can't tell you how many times I went back to my, after I became a pastor, that I went back to my college notes and I opened up the, the, that spiral notebook and I went through and I referred back to my notes. I can't tell you how many times I've done that. One day in the light, you will need what you learned in the dark. But then also don't forget, one day you're going to come across somebody else that's in the dark. And they're going to need to borrow your notes. They're going to need to borrow your notes. I was a horrible note taker. But Emily wasn't. And so we took this. This is back when we were dating. She took really good notes. And so I would borrow her notes because she, not only did she take better uh, notes than me, but her handwriting was better too. And so they were easy to read. And so I would uh, very often borrow her notes for class. One day, you're going to come across somebody 
who's in a dark place. And they're going to need your notes. And you're going to think back, you know what? I don't know why God led me through that dark path, but now, now it might be so I could help this person. Now it's probably so I could pay it forward and help somebody else. So not only do those notes from your time in the dark, do they help you in the light, but you can also help somebody else. Because you know what? God does His best work in the dark. God does His mightiest work in the dark. Then number three, God's perspective is not limited by human experience. God's perspective is not limited by human experience. Let's go to verse 17. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. You know what David is saying here? He's saying, God, there are things that you know that because I'm human, I could never know. It's impossible for me to comprehend them. In other words, David knew he was connected to a God that could see past the place he was in. God's perspective is not, is not limited by, by human comprehension. So what the question is, what can God see right now that we often can't? Why, why can't we see it? Because as humans, we have tunnel vision and we can only see the problem right in front of us and we forget everything else. I wonder if David was ever in a cave and forgot about Goliath. I wonder if David was ever in a cave and forgot about his past victories. In a lonely place, one of the best things that God can do for us is bring your life into perspective of past victories. And God will say to you, I've brought you through this before. Don't you remember? Don't you remember when you fought Goliath and, and, and you were just a kid, but I was there and I helped you and the whole army wouldn't go up against him, but you, you picked up five stones, but you only needed one. Do you remember that, David? Do you remember how I've helped you in the past? What's something else that God can see that we can't because we're consumed by our own situation is that there are other people in the same boat that we're in. See, they are going through a lonely season too. So when you're in a lonely season, Christian, do you know what you should do? You should look for lonely people. You should look for lonely people. You know, I've been at churches where you talk to someone and say, yeah, I went through that whole service and no one ever talked to me. And then a little later you go over here and you talk to this person and they say, yeah, I was in there, I went in there at church and nobody talked to me. And it was the same service. And you're just thinking, if these two people would just talk to each other, that would kind of fix the problem. 
And when you say nobody talked to me, what that tells me is you didn't talk to nobody. You know? And people walk into a building like this with only themselves on their mind. And they think, well, I'm the most important person in here. What's, what are people going to do for me? What is, what, what's going to happen for me? Uh, you know, what, this is, everybody's here to serve me. No wonder we've got so many lonely people in our churches. Because people walk into a church and they think, man, the music should be for me and the preaching should be for me and the people should come and be for me. But what happened to being for other people? Man, if everybody was for other people, nobody would ever be lonely. What are people going to do for me? Man, if we flip that, we started looking for lonely people, that would be the cure for loneliness. Are you lonely in church? Will you find somebody else that's lonely and sit with them? Problem fixed. Are you going through pain in your life? Find someone else who's going through pain and you're not lonely anymore. Not lonely anymore. Verse, the last two verses of the psalm, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. You know that phrase, hurtful way? It can also be translated way of pain. What David is saying is, God, you know me. You know I have anxiety. You know I have lonely thoughts. These thoughts are bringing me pain. Lead me out, dear God. Because only you can. You don't have to be lonely. Now, Walter Martin was a, an evangelist. Walter Martin lived from 1862 to 1935. He was an evangelist that preached all over the country. And uh, Walter Martin, he, was, he would preach. And, and, and a lot of times on these meetings, he would take his wife Sevilla with him to his meetings. One day, however, Sevilla became very, very ill. And she couldn't accompany her husband to his preaching engagement. And Walter Martin was very concerned with, with his wife and her sickness. And he was actually afraid to leave her because he knew if he went off to this meeting that he would be gone for a very long time and, and he didn't want her to be alone. And then just like out of the mouth of babes, their very young son spoke up and said, Father, don't you think that if God wants you to preach today, He will take care of mother while you're away? It was at that time the Holy Spirit came upon Walter Martin and told him to go preach this meeting. He left and preached that meeting. And near the end of the meeting, Sevilla got to feeling better. And in fact, the day that Walter Martin was traveling back to his home, Sevilla got out of bed. She got a piece of paper. She began to scribble down some words. When Walter got home that evening, she gave the, she gave the words to her husband who had some musical ability. And he went to a piano and he began to pick out of tune. And the words to this song for the last 115 years... 
have filled the lonely hearts of Christians with faith and hope that even when we are alone, God will take care of us. The words to the song go like this. Be not dismayed whate'er be tied. Beneath His wings of love abide. God will take care of you. Through days of toil when heart does fail, when dangers fierce your path assail, God will take care of you. All you may need, He will provide. Nothing you ask will be denied. God will take care of you. No matter what may be the test, lean weary one upon His breast. God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. Christian, loneliness for a Christian is a choice because if you are truly a child of God, you are never alone. In this lonely time, draw close to God. Learn from Him. Get a, get a closer relationship with Him. Take notes. So when you get out of this lonely season, you can look back on your notes and think about how good He was to you so you can help somebody else. Because Christians are never alone.